All right, we're live. Um, yo, okay. So the the topic for our episode today is adaptability, and we're going to discuss what the value is in adaptability, which essentially relates to why it's beneficial to be adaptable. Perhaps some of the downsides to adaptability and how this kind of, again, all relates to finding that balance of what suits you and your current situation. I think adaptability is something that needs to change according to the situation you find yourself in. Yourself in. There might be times in your life where you need to be real hard-headed to be able to create a situation in which you want to find yourself. There may be other times where you can't, you have no power to adjust to uh, change the situation and to adapt to your environment. And so, Marcus, I'd like to begin by asking you a question. And it relates to something you mentioned, I guess it was sometime last week or two. Um, you've been taking a class where you guys were, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm confusing someone, but I'm pretty sure this was you. You've been taking a class where you guys were talking about from a company standpoint, I believe it was the survival of the fittest mentality and definition. And you had a, an idea of what survival of the fittest meant, but this class kind of changed your perspective on it. And I'm curious, because I think there's a relationship between your new perspective on survival of the fittest and adaptability. So I'd like to, you know, where were you with it before survival of the fittest and what changed and, and how might that relate to the topic? So, um, that class was actually intro to sustainability and it was the beginning of that course. You're going over Darwin's evolution theory and the prof brought up that quote, like survival of the fittest and really went into what that, what Darwin meant by that in terms of evolution. And, you know, now that we're doing this, this self-improvement journey, that's kind of what we're striving for. We're striving for evolution in, in terms to make progress, right? Beautiful, dude. Way, very well put. Poetic. So it's it's really interesting that you bring that up, and it, it does like does fit with what we're talking about today. So essentially, before this course, whenever I heard the term "survival of the fittest," I kind of thought of like it's all, mostly about athleticism, who was able to um, be physically fit to. Um, overpower um, the other like competitors and stuff like that um, in terms of like like survival. So so like who's able to force themselves to be at the top of the hierarchy of the longest by maintaining power? Exactly. So like this is a good way of putting it. Think about gladiators in in the um, back in, in whatever 300 BC or whatever whenever a gladiator ancient Rome ancient Rome uh the the fittest physically most physical fit person would win they would survive so that was my perception of that uh, of the term that it was mostly physical and that was the perspective that I took but then 
this prof was explaining what Darwin was actually trying to portray. Yeah. He, when he did come up with that statement and how most people have this, have this misconception that I had um, when hearing that statement. But essentially, survival of the fittest is not about physical fitness. It's actually about fit with the environment. So su survival of best fit to current circumstances. Exactly, exactly. So it's interesting because the other day we were talking about the importance of words, right? And these are the exact same words, but with two different perspectives. And how you interpret it can really affect how you're going to move forward. Yeah, and, and how you view the world. Exactly. Um, so that was a really eye-opening eye -opening class for me. It's not like it's mind-blowing stuff, but it's just when you have this misconception and then you finally come to the realization of another perspective mm. that I found really cool with, with that. So, and I think honestly, it does have a lot of power that that statement you look at, you know, <laughs> the, the dinosaurs, they were immense creatures, massive creatures. But then when the comet hit um, and some other external environmental factors came around, they were not able to, to actually survive, mm -hmm. you know, these I don't know too much about biology, but like mushrooms, I'm pretty sure they, they can fucking survive through, through a ton of different shit. Like if there was a nuclear war, there's a good chance that mushrooms would still survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, actually, we were going back to the dinosaurs. Um, so while the dinosaurs were around and thriving, like these massive reptiles with unblinking eyes and just mouths ready to devour uh there were mammals alive like these little rodent like creatures that lived almost mostly underground and they would come out of their burrows and you know feed on the scraps whenever the dinosaurs went around and when these big reptile predators would come they would you know hurry back underground and when the dinosaurs reign ended because of a change in environmental factors and their inability to adapt to it it's the mammals that were then able to come onto land and flourish. And we've actually, those are our ancestors, those little rodent like things. <laughs> I think, I don't know, like what, you know, close enough, you know, you know, <laughs> it's close enough yeah. uh, to being true. But so how, what could you explain exactly what having this shift in perspective of survival of the fittest means to you? Like, yeah. Um, well, I think the first step when trying to become the, the fittest is you need to analyze the environment. And you brought this up a bit in your opening statement that I kind of want to touch upon. Mm. But you got to realize when a situation is one that you can adapt or if you cannot adapt. When you say adapt, do you mean change the situation or change yourself? So when you cannot adapt the situation, you have to adapt yourself to become the fittest if you're okay. already the fittest. While there are certain situations, like we've talked about this before, of you know, surrounding yourself, surrounding yourself around someone 
or people, friends that support your discipline, that support your routines, that is something you can adapt. You can choose who you spend your time with. To a, like, you can choose, like, if there's a toxic relationship at your work, you can choose to, to find a new job. Mm -hmm. If you have friends that are not very supportive of you, you can find new communities through your interests of people that are similar to you that will respect your routines and respect your discipline. So, or go ahead and finish your thought. There's, there are times where you can affect it, but then let's say you grow up in a toxic family and you have poor relationships with, with your, your parents. There's not as much that you can do to adapt that situation. There, there aren't too many resources out there or services that can really help you out when you're in that situation. I would like a psychiatrist or something like that, a therapist that's a resource to help you. Yes, yes, but you- but That is self-adapting more than yeah, adapt. a bit, yeah. But in that situation, what I'm trying to get at is that you can't adapt the situation. You can only adapt yourself in that situation. Yeah, I want it, I just, uh, I feel like, when you're saying adapt the situation, it sounds kind of, it's so similar to adapt yourself to the situation. I feel like it might be better to say like influence the situation, to change the situation, yeah. to fit your current needs versus changing, adapting your current needs to fit the, to fit the demands of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... It's interesting, I think, that you've made that jump from sort of like, so survival of the fittest essentially means to be fit enough to the current uh, demands of your environment and, or to have the right fit for the current demands of your environment. And if the current demands of your environment change, you, you need to decide whether you're going to adapt to those changes or whether you're going to try and change the environment, which can be leaving this environment to a different one which is like the examples you were making about you know leaving your job or uh generate developing new friendships with other people and i, I don't know i find it interesting you made that jump to relationships um but i can see why i mean everything we do is essentially revolves around relationships with other people because people are a big component of the environment like yeah. In, in one of my classes this semester or last semester as well, while I was taking this intro to sustainability class, I was taking a sustainable management class. And a lot of that class was going over stakeholder management and analyzing stakeholders kind of, um, yeah, that was a big part of it. So stakeholders, anyone who's got an investment or is tied to a company? Well, anyone that can have an influence on a company, but you can also use that term for, for, for anything. Yeah. Someone that has an interest in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's not always, there's not always, it's not always physical uh, stakeholders. Like it's not always people. It's not always companies. It could be the environment. And there's not, sorry. I, the term was wrong there. It's not physical. It's called so social stakeholders and non-social stakeholders. So the environment would be a non-social stakeholder. It's someone yeah. you can't 
you can't have a you can have an interaction with it but you can't share ideas back and forth essentially yeah it doesn't communicate the same way that we do but then let's say in our personal life some stakeholders we have is our spouses our employers our suppliers local grocery stores local stores that you purchase from um our friends Mm -hmm. these are all social stakeholders that have an interest in the actions within our life and so essentially when you go into a situation into a new environment you want to try and analyze all the stakeholders and see how your interests can align with them uh maybe interest isn't the best word but maybe how your purpose aligns with all those stakeholders mm-hmm. what so you're trying example, to if you want to be a strong environmentalist you will want to evaluate the issues and like the dynamics of that environment like the actual biodiversity environment like talking biological environment not this environment broad perspective environment that we talk about but if you're an environmentalist you want to analyze which of that biological environment like how your interests can help that mm-hmm. or or at least um, not detriment it yeah kind of find a way that you're you can synergize with it essentially Mm -hmm. it was a bit of a ramble but Uh, whatever but what so what's what's the what do you think is the main the main core of what you're what you're trying what you've just said well essentially what i'm saying is the first step is just analyzation like analyzing because it's it's kind of like doing a research paper right what's the first thing you do you you go and do research before writing yeah. And you do research, then you have an idea, then you experiment mm-hmm. with it. You get feedback from it, you adjust, you try it again, you get feedback, you adjust, you get feedback, you adjust. It's a cycle. Yeah. So adapting is. That yeah, I was just gonna say when you say adjust, what we're really doing in a way is adapting. Yeah. Adapting to new information. Exactly. And so in a way, the more accurate your understanding of the, of the true reality of the environment around you is, the potentially, the less you'll need to adapt. Because you're all, you already understand how it is and hopefully you're able to coexist in a way that, with that environment. But if your view of reality is wrong, if the way you see things in the world isn't the way they actually are, then sometimes something going is going to happen that you didn't expect and didn't anticipate because your view is incorrect. And when that happens, you're going to have to consider that new piece of information and then adapt yourself, which essentially means adapt your, to a degree, adapt your perspective on reality to incorporate that new piece of information and then to be able to continue to, you know, live, survive, and hopefully thrive. Uh, and this comes back to something I'd like to relate to adaptability and situations where 
it is not the environment that you can change, but it is where you must change to the environment. And I think something I learned personally through my own experiences of living in Germany when I was there for 11 months and kind of miserable over there, I realized that by changing my perspective, I was able to find much more enjoyment in the current situation um, and get by, you know, overall better. I was able to fit my current environment in a better way. And so when you need to adapt to your, to your environment, being able to shift your perspective is key. It's huge. It's tough though. That, pardon me? It's tough. It's tough, but it's possible. It's super, it's doable. Uh, you, you need to think about your situation, the information at hand in, in new ways and in new lights, in a new light. Um, and even consider information you might not have. Like essentially, when you're writing a research paper and you've got your main thesis and then you come across new information, your, your view of the reality of the situation has just shifted because there's now a new piece of information you need to consider. So you've got to change your perspective and you need to change your thesis to incorporate that new piece of information. That's the same thing that you need to do in real life. Like if, if I'm acting out a goal of getting a job somewhere and I keep getting rejected, you know, something's wrong with how I perceive myself and reality to be because I believe that I should be getting a job, right? That's why I'm applying. I'm like, I've got a shot here. And this is something I want to do. But if I keep getting rejected, something's off. I need to change my perspective to incorporate this new information and then do something about it. So you bring up the your story of Germany and how you felt miserable yeah. time there and that you shifted your perspective. Yeah. Did for doing that, I know that you said that when doing it, you need to have a strong idea of reality. Uh, well, not, not a strong, but like you talk about having a grasp on reality. Yeah. That's kind of what you're talking about. Just Yeah. yeah. Do, you th do you find that there is some power, though, in, in lying to yourself in this situation where you were miserable? lying to yourself where you're telling yourself you're happy and then eventually it kind of manifests it's almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy there's power in it of course but that doesn't mean it's good and i don't think if you're lying to yourself it might help you in the short term but it's going to damage you in the long term because you're essentially telling yourself something that's not true in order to be able to continue to live in the current environment to fit the current environment, but something's off. You're, you're telling yourself a lie. And so eventually that mismatch between you and the environment is going to cause some sort of negative reaction and it's going to hit hard. I think the longer that lie goes on for. Um, like telling yourself you're happy when you're not doesn't really work. And it kind of, it's interesting. So I think a lot of these positive mantra mindsets out there, there's a lot of benefit to them, but they can be misconstrued and 
overly relied upon. And if you if you don't mind, uh, I'm gonna try and connect a couple dots here. So give me give me a second. Um, so these positive mindsets can be over relied upon. There, I think there's a huge benefit to them, especially if you're. So I think they can be helpful when you get caught in negative thought cycles that are no longer to your benefit, right? So if you're sort of caught in a loop of thinking about the future, essentially trying to solve a problem that you can't currently solve because you lack their information or it's something that won't have a solution to it until a until some point in the future when the decision is actually ready to be made. I think in those situations where you're caught in negative thought loops that won't lead you anywhere, they just make you feel worse. It can be extremely positive to sort of bring in a more positive mindset to help knock you out of that. But in the situation that we're talking about right now, where you're telling yourself a lie, like if my positive mind loop or positive mantra is something along the lines of like, you're capable and you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to, if you're willing to put in the work, right? Yeah. But if your lie is like, if you're, what if, but if you're telling yourself a lie that says, hey, Christian, you're actually really happy all the time. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not always happy, right? That's, that's not the way it is. But if, if you allow yourself to believe it, like, it just gets depressing. And I've been watching these, these docs, like, you know, you're not, you know, you're not happy. Like, you know, you're lying to yourself. I've been watching these documentaries recently. And there, it has a lot to do with different revolutions that occurred in different places in the world. And the revolutionaries had some sort of experiences in their past that caused them to really doubt the integrity of the system as a whole in front of them, of society, and led them to want to essentially destroy it and replace it with something else. And the reality that they saw in front of them, the reality, sorry, that everybody else saw was different from the reality that they saw. They saw something that was failing, corrupt and dying. Um, and they tried really hard to sort of fight for the vision that they saw by trying to tear the whole system down. And it worked against themselves because the reality that they saw, while it existed to a small degree, it wasn't the full picture. And when they tried to fight for it, it just ended up hurting them more and more. And they actually ended up, if anything, making the system stronger by trying to fight it um, because they made themselves look almost uh, silly to a degree, you know? I'm, I'm, but yeah, um, all that to say, I don't think it's good to lie to yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of went on a bit of a ramble there. I'm sorry about that, but. The, um, no, but there's lots of like, there's lots of stories that you can learn from that may not be an individual doing it, but it could be, like you said, a revolution or even a business. Yeah. Organizations. <laughs> sorry, dude. 
they're, they're legal persons, these businesses, like they might not be real people, but they sometimes act like, like people. So there's stuff you can learn. And another thing that I, I learned this year was the number of fortune 500 companies that are from the original list. What does that mean? The original list. So they first did the fortune 500 company list in 1955. Okay. And I just searched this up to see, to get the exact numbers. But in 2019, out of those 500 that were there from the beginning, there's only 52 that are still there. And this kind of goes back to our like gladiator analogy. Those Fortune 500 companies in 1955, those are the 500 biggest companies in the, in the world or in yeah. the US at the time. And they're the biggest companies. They have the most resources. Yeah, the most power. They have the most power. They should. They should be able to stick around. They mm. have the resources to do so, but they weren't able to adapt to the environment. Yeah. So, so growth leads to the, like after a certain point, when a company gets so large, it becomes so bureaucratic and slow moving. It can't adjust. It can no longer adapt to major shifts in the environment or most of yeah. them can. Yeah. There are some, like there's 53 that are still on the list. Like there are some that still are able to, to do it and they're yeah. incredible companies. But you even look at a company like Nokia, right? Nokia had so many phones in the early 2000s. I think I, no, I didn't. I didn't have a Nokia. My bad. Keep going. But now even Blackberry, Blackberry is a good one. In 2010, they, they were leading, not leading, but they were one of the leaders in the phone market. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know a single person that has a Blackberry. Yeah. yeah. Because they weren't able to recognize the shifts in stakeholder interests mm -hmm. able to see these new consumer demands and then be able to do the research and development to actually provide value to those yeah. things. Yeah, the, it seems like these large companies the bigger they get right the, the more powerful they become it essentially means in a way the more right they are about their current environment like to do well you've got to be like, hey, this is what consumers want. This is how we'll give it to them. And then you need to be right about that. Like consumers actually need to want that. And if you're right, you'll make a shitload of money. But as, as they grow, they become more locked in on the reality that has benefited them and allowed them to get to this point that has allowed them to grow so much. And then when the reality shifts, they're no longer willing or able to adapt to that shift because they're like, this is what has worked. Why would we change? Right. And some of them, like some of them, they can change consumers. They can change the consumers like habits. Yeah. Based off of the services that they offer. But, and I think that's kind of what those big companies that have those have the power and resources. The reason why they stick around, is because they're able to adapt to the environment and also adapt the environment for themselves to straight point. So they're kind of doing both of what we're talking about. Yeah. Which it's, yeah. yeah. So 
Do you, do you have any examples of like when they've adapted the consumers? They've made the consumers adapt to them. Trying to think right now. No worries. I'm into a blank. It's all good, man. But it's something we can mention in, in the next episode. We'll just come back. I, I would say I would say Apple's done a job, done a job of that. Uh, oh, good point. Because they've made their products so like single use that if you use one Apple product, you use all Apple products, and then you never yeah. want to leave that ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. I, that's not what I was thinking, but that works a lot better than. <laughs> <laughs> sweet because it's almost like when when a product comes around that's so revolutionary it changes how consumers act so mm -hmm. for example like being able to listen to pretty much unlimited music for the ipod that was a revolutionary yeah so the consumers changed and then the environment changed so records and cds they all went out of business essentially yeah yeah it's kind of like even just no that's not a good example but to be a company that continually adapts not only are they adjusting the consumer needs but they're bringing out revolutionary products that are also mm -hmm. the consumer so they're they're on the the frontier of the environments in terms of or in relation to how the environment's already like the trend that the environment because like in like for example with technology right for the last let's just look at the last 50 years technology's changed dramatically and it's shifted the way consumers think spend money what we spend money on um, I know Alex, our buddy who's been on the podcast, would love this topic because he's all about how consumers are influenced and we barely even make our own choices anymore in relation to what we buy. Uh, but to, to like to make to adapt the environment by creating something completely new, you've got to create something, I think, that is at, at least on somewhat of the same path as the momentum of the environment as a whole from its history. 100%. An example of that is Google, who's been yeah. a company that's pretty ahead of the times. Yeah. Maybe not ahead of the times, but able to, to capture or at least offer services that consumers need or, or want. They were coming out with the Google Glasses, right? But they didn't do well. So they were too either too far ahead. Well, see ah oh, fuck i wish so if it, no one could see this but i've got my hand like diagonally up on the screen and it's showing a line a trajectory right and google was like okay this is the path we've been on let's look three years in advance and pick a dot where we think the line's going to intersect and that's where okay the google glasses will probably happen let's make them now but they were off the mark that like that's not what people really wanted or at least not yet maybe they were too far ahead but I yeah. think that I think someone who's doing a great job and a company that's doing a great job of looking to the future and saying this is where we're headed and 
the reason I think they're doing a good job is because even though they're not selling any products, their valuation on the stock market is incredible. And that's Tesla. Tesla is doing a great job of looking to the future and saying, this is where we believe it's headed. This is where Elon Musk thinks we're going. And the, that's where he just, thinks we're going. Pardon me. We still don't know. Like, would you go up in the space? Oh, I would, it depends, man. It depends. Like I'd go visit and like fly around like, for a bit and come back down. We don't know the market yet because it hasn't been established yet. No, we don't know, but people seem to agree with it because he's, he's doing well. They're making money. They're the stock market. The cap investors stock are. Well, who do investors represent the people in a way? Not always. Mm, to a degree. Look, if you're a good investor, that means you've been right in the past, right? You've predicted where the you've predicted where the money's going to go, and the consumers, the masses, control where mo a lot of the money goes because we spend a lot of money. I I do. I think so. Well, what's up with the 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 wealth gap? It's the top the top one percent owns like what, like over fifty percent of like the world's money. Something crazy. Dude, if you're making over forty grand, you're in the top world's top one percent. You're making over 40 grand a US a year. Yeah, but there are there's people with immense wealth in this world that have a pretty strong they have a huge influence on the on the money that gets generated around. Can I tie an analogy into this conversation, Marcus? Yeah. Okay. Do you like uh, nature documentaries? Yeah, you do? Yeah, I like watching uh, what's it called planet earth yeah i do too i love it i lo my, always my have octop my octopus teacher as well that's one that i'd recommend i haven't seen it yet but i've heard it recommended before i'll give it a watch um so in the oceans this is a specific example of the oceans so whales are these massive creatures fucking gigantic i don't know how many tons they are but they're huge and they eat some of the smallest creatures in the ocean. They eat krill, hundreds of thousands of krill. And it is the krill that influence the whales' um, migration patterns. And so where the krill, where the massive krill go to congregate for, let's say like, I don't know, for reproduction, there's you know millions and millions of krill in one area. That's where all the whales will then go and the whales represent the huge investors who have all this money and wealth behind them but they can only go way works are. pardon me that, that analogy doesn't work because whales can't eat themselves you think investors can eat themselves i see what like, you're saying the rich can make money off of, like rich people can put their money into certain directions and that other rich people can capitalize on it's an interplay, but it's it's not like they can only work with themselves. They need to work with the with the populations. No. They, yeah, they can't. But the, these these big big wealthy people have just as much power as the remaining ninety percent of the world. Yes, yes, but it's not. So, I I don't think it's necessarily greater than. It might be perceived to be greater than, which then gives them more power. Like. If, if the masses of masses of people wanted to start a revolution, they can. 
they can just go and burn everything down to the ground. Like that, I don't think that's the way forward. But look, if Apple came out with a new product and all the investors put hundreds of billions of dollars into it, first of all, if they're putting that much money into it, it's probably going to be pretty good and people are probably gonna to wanna to buy it. It's probably gonna be good at whatever it's trying to do. But it doesn't, if no one goes to buy it, the investors flop. Like they're only right if it actually, if the masses of people actually go there and spend their money for it. And the, I think the housing market in 2007, 2008 crash is a somewhat decent example of this. Investors, the guys with the huge amounts of cash started putting it all into mortgages. And they're like, yep, this is, let's put all of our money into it. Banks, massive companies, we're putting all of our money here into these mortgages that have been so the homes were sold to individuals, to consumers. The consumers then got a mortgage, right? To pay off the home. But the mortgages that were sold to the consumers, the consumers were never screened to make sure that they could actually pay it back. And then, so now the consumers have essentially promised to pay the banks a mortgage. And then the banks take all of those promises, put them together and then sell them to other companies. And then other companies sell them again. So these like false promises have been sold and, hundreds of millions of billions of dollars have been put into it. And then when the consumers, right, the people that actually, who matter, the masses, when they don't pay it back, everything collapses, regardless of whether the investors have put all the money into it or not. I think this example lends itself a little bit to my saying, I think there's some truth what you're saying as well. Especially what I was, what I'm saying is that this all started, this come this little debate. I've been enjoying this, by the way. I've really yeah, been enjoying This debate started because you said Tesla is doing a good job of, like, predicting. SpaceX. Was it SpaceX that you said or Tesla? I said Tesla, but it's, I mean, for me, it's the same thing for the point of this conversation. Okay, well, I think Tesla is doing a good job at adapting to the environment. Mm -hmm. Too early to tell if SpaceX is. Yeah. Because you look at Tesla... They're doing, they're, they started making electric cars, what, let's say eight, 10 years ago. That's probably when they first went to market with their cars. Sure. It's not like electric cars only came around 10 years ago. Electric cars have been a thing since the 70s. It's just these oil car companies lobbied governments to try and uh, keep them out of the market. And also they purchased these electric car companies so that they wouldn't compete with their yeah, oil car companies. So, yes, Tesla came around when we're in a point of environmental crisis where we need to have an energy transition, and consumers have the knowledge of that and yeah. are going to purchase products that are electric, electrified, yeah, or battery uh, generated. But with SpaceX, he's doing something that has never been done before. And who knows if it's even going to be successful. We, we, we think he will be because he's had a past history of being successful. Yeah. Tesla, PayPal. He's done, he's built some incredible businesses. But there's, there's a reason why no privatized company has done this before. Because it's extremely tough. It's risky as well. It's risky and you kind of need 
the, a good situation of having the resources and knowledge to actually enact on it, which is something that that Elon Musk has. But there could be a point where he runs out of resources because he's putting so much into it and, and it just keeps on failing. Like they, not all their tests have gone smoothly. I heard that recently they launched one up and then they're able to like bring it back down. Mm -hmm. But then it just exploded. Yeah, it just is not good. And you know how much money goes into one individual spaceship? Mm -hmm. Millions or billions of dollars. Like it's, it's a lot of money. It's not like it's a car where it's only a hundred thousand dollars. There might, there might be a point where it, like he he can't figure it out, but you know what? He pushed it at least. At least he's made progress so that if he doesn't, it's going to be a lot easier for the next person. Then I 100%, 100% agree. So my, my main point of this is that, okay, yes, Tesla, maybe Tesla has done a really good job at capitalizing on the environment and, and consumer needs and, and just the whole business landscape. But we don't know yet for SpaceX. I agree. And I even would say, I would, I would take your point about SpaceX and us not knowing and put a little bit more of that onto Tesla even. So I just, I looked up a second ago, Tesla's car sales in 2020 or the number of cars they manufacture was something like 145,000. That's the number of sales that Ford had in a month in January. So even Tesla itself, like their, their market cap is, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you market cap Tesla, I'll tell you what it is right now. Uh, $565.34 billion. But they're barely selling any vehicles. So they're not actually where they're predicting, where people predict them to be yet, right? but they've, they've they've struck a chord they've they've done something right to the to point where the masses of people and investors both see some truth behind it and think that they're in line with the trend of the environment and then because elon musk is behind tesla when he makes an even bigger prediction and even like even further into the future about spacex people are willing to back it and i agree with you it's too far to it's too far away to understand how, how accurate it is. But I think. Well, with Tesla, what they've done, which has been incredible, is they've built an amazing brand. Yeah. You think of electric cars, they're the first person you think of, first, first business you think of. And I think investors and consumers know that, mostly investors. And Can I say Marcus and Sosa? It's easier. Just one second. With Tesla, their problem now is accessibility for consumers, getting cheaper, cheaper cars that more of the general public can afford. Yeah. And also production. And those kind of go hand in hand together. Once they make production more efficient, they'll be able yeah. to lower the, the, the cost of, of production, which will then lower the cost of purchase for, for consumers. Totally agree. So... Once they figure that out, they're going to be flying because they've already built the brand. I would say honestly, this might be me being biased because I'm in marketing and that's kind of what I, I, I'm into. 
I think it's a lot tougher to build a strong leading brand in the world than it is to do R&D and lower production costs. But that could be me being completely wrong and naive. Well, I think something to consider with that mindset, not with that mindset, with that statement you just made about Tesla, once they can figure out the production, uh, how to mass produce, it'll fucking fly. It's not just the cars that they need to mass produce, right? They need to actually create the batteries as well. And a huge part in developing the batteries is getting the lithium and having other companies who specialize in creating batteries be able to supply their battery needs for their vehicle production needs. And there are not that many companies that are specialized and able to produce the batteries um, to the extent that they're going to require it. And now that the electric vehicle market is rising as a whole, like Ford's making electric, all these other companies are beginning to make and put a lot of money into electric vehicles because it is the future. It's, it's, the, the, the demand on those batteries is going to skyrocket and the supply might not be there. So regardless of whether Tesla has the actual manufacturing ability themselves, it's not just whether they can do it, it's whether other people can help support them in that, in that role. Just to go back, so something interesting to consider, right? Tesla had uh, car sales in 2019 or 2020 or manufactured 145,000 cars, which is what Ford sold in one year. Tesla's market cap, $575 billion. Ford's market cap, so their total value of shares that they have uh, on the stock market, which essentially represents the value of the corporation as perceived by the market, which is which represents how the, uh, the people of the world, with the value they perceive the company to have, is $47.5 billion for, for Ford. So and Tesla was $575 billion. Wow. It's insane. And normally, a, like normally a company's market cap is extremely correlated to their sales. Because that actually, like if you have more sales, you've got more money, right? So like, oh, these guys are selling something. We should give them our money. So Tesla is a huge bet on the future, but it seems like people really support it. And I think that's because they've made a very good bet. They've, they've so, bet so on the future and they've adapted themselves prematurely to it. It's also kind of the snowball effect kind of, of like, you know, investors are like it gains excitement, which then people start reading about it in the, um, in the newspaper, which gets them excited. And then yeah. when it comes to buying a car there, if they do have the money to do it, they're, they're like, Oh, this is like the future. Like I want to be part of the future. Mm -hmm. And, and these other companies, yeah, you're right. People want to be part of the future and the companies like Ford, all these other companies making car companies, making electric vehicles now they have decided we need to adapt, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the future demands it. The, the main reason that, that Tesla is able to do that is because of the brand that they built, because of the brand Elon Musk has as being our real life Iron Man, you know? Yeah. Like, and people want to associate themselves with that brand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
that's why I think like Tesla, one of the main reasons why they are successful is, is the branding that they've, that they've uh, created. Agreed. This has been interesting, man. We, we both have business degrees, but we've never really talked about business on this before. No, like, never. It's kind of interesting that we did because we can actually speak on it with a little bit more knowledge than we're, <laughs> yeah. we're not really talking about. No, it's true. Maybe we should try and do that more often, like incorporate our topics with our areas of study a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I never realized until only a couple weeks ago that I, how much I do actually know about. Same marketing and strategy same it's because you just take it when especially when you're surrounded by other people who are studying the same thing as you and they all know the same thing as you you take it as like baseline knowledge but then when you talk to people who haven't learned what you've learned you're like oh i actually know something <laughs> yeah i feel the same way i feel the same way going back to adaptability yeah please I really think that this year has been a great eye opener for the importance of adapting because yep. it's such a drastic change in our environment. Mm -hmm. What would you say has been something that you've had to adapt during this year? Well, I don't mean to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I think I'm toot toot. I think I'm very good at relatively good at adapting to uh, situations. Um, I don't have a lot of situational anxiety for the unknown. And I'm good. So a couple of years ago, I remember I put my shoes down. After I'd got home from uh, school, I put my shoes on, away. And I noticed that they were both like, instead of right on the right, right shoe on the right side, left shoe on the left side. It was right shoe on the left side, left shoe on the right side. So they were backwards, right? Or wrong sides. And I was like, I'll just leave it. And that, and then instantly I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> when the environment or the situation around me changes, sometimes I should actually work harder to make it better for me. But very often I'll just be like, all right, this is my situation now. I'll just make the best of it. And so... I think that's a bit of like a, a reflection of me just being like, okay, go with the flow. This is what, it, this is where I'm at. And now I'm going to make the best of whatever my current environment is sometimes too much. So like, sometimes I need to be more, no, I can make this better. One example of that would be when I was going into co-op, I don't think I applied anywhere. Like I applied to like three places, <laughs> which was a horrible idea because I would have gotten some way better opportunities if I had, but I just was like, well, this is my situation. I was like, Christian, you could have put in more work and effort and got something better. But um, all that to say this year, after finishing work at the resort in September, I applied to a bunch of companies, which I've mentioned here before, but I've essentially had four or five months, October, November, December, January, February, five months off where I haven't been in school and I haven't been working, which is the first time I've ever had that in my life. And I think for a lot of people, and even for myself, you'd be like, oh, like you feel like you're not part of society. You feel like you're not contributing. You feel like an outcast and like a failure in a way because you're not participating. You know, you're not making money. You're not supporting yourself in the same way that you should be or you feel like you should be. 
And I did feel a little bit of like negative emotions because of that. Um, but luckily I've got some great people in my life who I can talk to and who were able to give me some advice. And I took the opportunity to focus on myself uh, in a huge way. And I use it as a chance to get really into things that I'm interested in and give them essentially the equivalent of a nine to five job in a way like meditation, yoga, writing, doing these podcasts with you, uh, climbing, reading, and I've been able to develop myself instead of, you know, putting myself into something else to develop someone else's product or develop the product Christian. And yeah, it's been fucking fantastic. Developing your, developing your personal brand. Yeah, that's it. That's it. What about you? How have you adapted to the, and how do you feel you are at, as an individual with adaptability? Do you adapt? Do you try to force the environment to you? Do you adapt to the environment? And how has that shown itself with COVID recently? Is it both? One more than the other? Or does it depend? I feel like I can adapt to the environment more than I can adapt the environment. Okay. And I think that's that's for a lot of young people because we don't have much influence, much power to, to do it. Uh, yeah. Like we might not have much social power or financial power or I don't know, other types of power to actually influence the environment. Yeah. Um, but there, I have examples for both. Um, I would say adapting to my environment. I'm intertwined a bit. But um, last year, I was, I was part of like a sustainability committee. And now I started this sports management club. And so, no, you adapted to your environment in that situation. Yeah, so it's got both in this. Sorry, group. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I love the excitement though. That was great. Yeah. Uh, so when I was on the sustainability committee, I always knew that I wanted to go into sports. Um, and I wrote about this in an article, kind of feeling a bit like an outcast at some, sometimes. Was, sustainability? Yeah. In the committee, just thinking like, oh, I'm not going to be a sustainability consultant everyone here wants to be doing something in sustainability, which I was completely wrong about. A lot of people are doing other cool stuff, but bringing sustainability into what they do, kind of what I'm doing. But I was able to adapt with that environment of people because that group of people, they have very different characteristics and very different perspectives than, let's say, being on the sports management group and the perspectives on that. So you were able to adapt to that group of people in their environment? To yeah, I, I tend to be able to adapt to groups of people well. Yeah. Like I, I can ask questions well. I can just talk to one other person or two other people really well um, on about anything. Like I feel like I, I'm a decent conversationalist that can use that to adapt to the people that's around him. Mm -hmm. um, so that's me adapting. Also, um, this is kind of like, it's not a big deal, but it's, it's had a big impact on my life. 
And just with the current COVID-19 situation of being in pandemic, I've been cooking a lot more. So learning how to cook and <laughs> adapting to like actually making pretty much all my meals for myself, um, which doesn't sound like a big adaptation, but it's had a big impact on my physical health, my mental health, and uh, just being able to cook nice food for myself, like I get enjoyment out of that. And I get way more nutritious value than ordering a shawarma or a pizza from, from Domino's or something. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a small way that I've adapted because for some people they've been still ordering food, getting takeout, like they've been doing the same thing, but because I've been spending more time at home, I've adapted to make more meals at home. Mm -hmm. One example, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of like a micro ad adaptation, which, you know, sometimes we don't think of these micro changes um, as being very important, but they add up, they, they influence other things in your life, which then gets the ball rolling 100%. for other things. And then uh, the other question you had about what have I adapted? Like, how have I adapted the environment to me? Yeah. Starting this club. I saw, I was going to conferences in second and third year, hearing sports industry professionals just talk about, you know, just get whatever experience you can. Like, um, once you get your foot in the door, that's good experience and just like be eager for, for any experience that can come your way. And I was finding it so tough to actually break into the sports industry. Luckily for me, I had a couple of jobs that were sports related, but I know there's a lot of students at Concordia that that's their dream, but no one's giving them the opportunity to actually kickstart their dream. Yeah. So I decided to start this Concordia Sports Management Group to help students get hands-on experience of working in the sports industry. And so kind of created that environment for myself and, and other students. Uh, and that's kind of one way I adapted to, to actually gain experience. That's incredible. I love that story, man. And I, it's, I find it super inspiring uh, to hear, like, you're like, you saw the current environment around you and you said, no, this isn't good enough. I'm going to create something new. And you did. It was weird because when I had the idea, I wasn't sure. It's, it's not a mind blowing idea having students help <laughs> high level athletes. Like we're not splitting the atom here. Um, but for some reason, I still felt like it was a bit of a crazy idea. I was like, no one's really doing this. So why aren't people doing this? Like we're the only club in Canada that does what we do. Wow. So you're, you're a monopoly. <laughs> You bastard. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like sometimes changing your environment can seem really intimidating. Yes. I think it's actually really hard for people to. <laughs> I, I, I was scared. Like I still, especially at the beginning of starting the club, I was so nervous about like, am I actually going to create impact with this club? Like, am I going to do something that's going to be valuable or like worth something to people? 
or will you just walk away a failure with your head down and your tail between your legs kind of thing like is it just going to flop and everyone's going to be like who is this guy trying to make something yeah like it's intimidating but then the reward of sticking with it like oh man this has been an unbelievable year for me because i started well, this club what was that experience like of of creating it was there a lot of pushback where people like what was it like for you I was very surprised It lots of support. So I, the process was I had to start, like I had to write a constitution and get some documents ready for- A constitution, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wild. Yeah, to be a club under the Concordia Student Union, you need to have a constitution. It's basically just like a document outlining all the processes, all the formal processes that the club must follow, which there are some important stuff like you know, how is the election of the president or the election of certain positions going to happen? How, what are the roles of these positions? Like who has what responsibility? So it, it's an important document. It sounds a lot more formal than these to be. Setting out the rules to the game that's going to be played. Exactly. Exactly. Finite infinite games, just a little shout out to the book right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the process of your question was kind of what was the reaction I got from it? Yeah. So I had two guys started with me and they both believed in the idea. So that was good, but you never really know how the idea is going to work out until you make it public. Like the idea wasn't public at that point. It was only within the three of us. Mm -hmm. Oh, so when we came to hiring a team, we were like, you know what? We'll hire five other people just expecting that we would only get like seven or eight applicants because we were a new club. We weren't sure how people were going to find us and, and hear about our club. We ended up getting like 20 applicants. Wow. Around 20 applicants, like interviewed 14 of them. And I think we took nine of them to start off. So that was one of the first jumps. The first wow. that we weren't a, sure what to expect. It was a spark. The next challenge that we weren't really sure how people were going to take it was actually recruiting the athletes. Which athletes were actually going to trust us to negotiate sponsorship for them, to organize community relations events, to um, develop strategy for social media? Because although they're high-level athletes in low-paying sports and they don't have tons of power, we're still affecting their personal reputation. Mm -hmm. So we do have some influence on, on how, how they're like, how they go about their stuff. Um, so just getting back to that, which athletes would we actually attract? Like, are we going to be working with high school kids that are trying to make the, like their local university team? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to be working with national level athletes and luckily for me i had my best friend who played on the u20 team canada rugby team so i knew that i had a good chance at signing him as an athlete and then i also trained with this one boxer who i hadn't talked to for a while but i had a good feeling that i could use kind of my personal relationship to actually get him on board Mm -hmm. 
And then we started signing three other athletes that, that are incredible athletes that one is a team Canada women's hockey player. I never expected to be what? With, with a hockey player, a national level hockey player. And I am. Um, so that, that's been incredible. So luckily for me, I've had support throughout this entire process. Um, I've had people reach out to me say, this is really cool. And you know what? That's what's kept it going. Yeah. Sure, sure the effort that I put in does stuff for the club, but what keeps it alive is the support from other people. Because it's other people saying, yes, you guys are doing something worthwhile, which is a whole lot easier to continue giving effort and to be motivated when you have other people appreciate what you're doing. You can appreciate yourself, uh, like appreciate what you're doing yourself. That goes a long way. But having support also helps quite a bit. I love, I love what you just said at the end there, man. It's a great story, first of all. I don't know. Maybe you should cut that out and use it as a snippet for your fucking club, for your, sorry, for your club or something, but. <laughs> well, but dude, you, I can't use the snippet now that you dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that shit. Okay. Um, but what I, so with what you're saying at the end there of like how, it, how helpful it was and how much it pushed you when you had that support of the people around you how important it was for you. I think that's huge. And I think that's something that people fear when they try to do something new, to adapt themselves or to adapt their environment uh, by creating something new like you did, is they're scared that they're not going to get support. And And when you don't get support, it's like, ah, my idea is worthless. I'm worthless. I'm going to (laughs) die. But so if you believe in your idea and then you try and initiate it like you did, if you get support, that's fantastic. Like keep going. If you don't get support, if you truly believe in your idea, I think it's worth considering maybe these people around me don't want what's best for me. Maybe I need to change that. Maybe I need to change who's around me in my life on a day-to-day basis, but it's also worth reassessing your idea. Is there actual value here? Because if no one supports it, maybe, maybe I'm off the mark. So those are the two thoughts that you really struck out to me at the end there. But and then adapt the idea. If you truly believe in it, but others don't, adapt it so you're still keeping your idea true and to its core, but mm-hmm. aspects of it that can tailor to other people. Evolve it. To the environment so that you actually are the fittest with all stakeholders. Exactly. You need to evolve the idea, but I like that you mentioned you need like the core, you need to establish the core and then allow that to continue. If that's what you believe in, what you truly believe in. And the important thing there that is easily overlooked is figuring out what the core purpose of your idea is. Because if you don't have that, then when the lack of support comes in from the environment or the environment says this idea is wrong, all of that shit, if the core isn't stable and strong, it's going to collapse and it's going to implode and you're not going to be left with anything. So before trying to bring an idea to reality, it's good to figure out the core, the essence of that idea first. And that's something that we did with this podcast, man. We figured out the purpose and we used to say it on every, maybe we'll say it again today at the end of this episode, but we said it on every episode and 
it's something that's allowed us to keep going even though it's not the ripples it's made in the pond are very 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 small you know but we're getting something out of it and hope and the, the few people who are or the people who listen potentially enjoy it as well we got some positive feedback today which was great to see and yeah man um just to wrap up this this episode <laughs> which has been great by the way i I've really enjoyed this and you know what it's really this conversation has opened my eyes to why i'm learning what i'm learning in school interesting so just to get into that a little bit so in my strategy and competition class that i'm taking right now i've talked to you about it quite a bit and there's been times where i've been complaining where i'm like this isn't technical enough i'm not really learning that much but what it is doing is it's forcing me to analyze companies internally and externally and now after this conversation i've realized why they're making us do that why marcus enable to be the fittest for the environment you need to be able to analyze yourself and analyze the external stakeholders. So that's kind of uh, to wrap it all up. Yeah. And do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, hmm. I'll, I don't know, man. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. I think we both brought a bit more emotion into the conversation, which has been good. I think we mentioned that last time. We had to... one of our first debates on this. this yeah, time. it was fantastic. I loved it. We should try. We should try and bring more of, of stuff that we've studied, perhaps into the conversation as well. Like using what we're talking about. Maybe we should even go back and talk about some of the topics again, but perhaps from a more a business uh, standpoint and perspective, that could be interesting. Maybe that's the next series. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I've been loving it. I think that's great, great point to finish off on assess the internal self through self-reflection act, see what happens in the external. Is that what you intended? No, then self-reflect. Are you off? Are you off the mark or is the environment is your perception of the environment off the mark? Try and figure that out. Yeah, that's about it from me. Awesome stuff. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. And if you'd like to join the show for an episode, reach out to us. Yeah. Um, we did mention a couple of weeks ago or a couple of podcasts ago, we said, I think I'd mentioned that we're going to have Takia come on the podcast on the next one, which never ended up happening because we ended up doing a bunch more, which we hadn't expected, but she'll be on, on the, uh, on the next, next week. So we're looking forward to that. For sure. Well, Hope this uh, this podcast is of value to you and insightful and 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 entertaining at the least. Um, as always, hope hope you have a a great day and hope we this conversation may have made it a little bit better. Yeah. Until next time, take care. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Should we read the purpose real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'll need yeah, to I just don't have it here, so that's why I didn't read it. Yeah, no worries. I forgot, and then I was like, wait, I just said, I just said I would read it.
It'll take probably 45 seconds at least to find it. So Christian, can you just explain oh. the book that you're going through right now and how, why it's going to take you 45 seconds to find the purpose of the podcast? Yeah. So I've got, I think I've got four or five like notebooks now. One, two, three, four, four. Yeah. Four notebooks that I'm currently, this one's full. And this is the one that I'm looking through to find where we wrote the purpose in. And I've, what I really liked about this is that there's a table of contents at the beginning and you can fill in page numbers and what you wrote on those pages. So I'm just looking through that table of contents to find it. Some of the. Did you count how many pages were in the notebook before starting the table of contents to make sure you have enough space? No, like they, they're, the pages are all numbered, right? So I don't need to count it. Oh, okay. That's lucky. Yeah. So there's what? 245. 251 pages but some of the some of the contents like table of contents are the first page is game plan the third page is meeting with stew pages 15 and 16 are thoughts on action uh 17 is climbing software i was thinking about getting into like climbing software sales at one point uh page 20 is sun power corporation stocks 21 to 23 I continued my action thoughts. And the reason I love this table of contents is because oftentimes I'll like have a thought, write it out and then continue it like later on randomly five pages down the line. So it's just super easy for me to connect dots between different ideas with this table of contents. Um, week one meditation quotes, quotes that I've come up with. Dude, I was coming up with so many random quotes last night. Holy shit. Are you going to go through all 251 pages of your journal? What do you mean? Right, right now? Yeah. No way, dude. No way. <laughs> okay, good. All right, sorry. Yeah, okay. We'll get to the purpose of the podcast. <laughs> okay, so the purpose is to bring a deeper meaning to the lives of ourselves and others. We will do this by expressing our ideas leading to discovery of their strengths and weaknesses through discussion. I think we did a good job of that today. Maybe. This feedback will highlight direction in our self-improvement journeys and hopefully in yours as well. Namaste. <laughs> right on. <laughs>